This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Opponents of the EPA loosening glider kit rules get a quick stay from a DC court. How community colleges are combating the driver squeeze. Amazon's Prime Day, Christmas in July to test the supply chain. And CSX announces a record 58.6% operating ratio and says the turnaround isn't finished yet. I'm JP. And I'm Chad. And we discuss all these issues and more on this week's episode of What the Truck. What you got there, Chad? <clears throat> well, we already know what you got there, JP. So, um, should we even bother saying? Bell Suhart. Okay. From Comstock, Michigan. But you'd think that they were sponsoring us after all the love you're showing them. Mm. Uh, I'm having, um, well, uh, a, a growler that I got from Riverside Beverage Company here in Chattanooga. And I understand it's an Orpheus transmigration, which if you're not familiar with Greek uh, mythology that might not mean a whole lot to you. Uh, no, but tell um, us about the beer, Chad. Yeah, it's uh, apparently it's an uh, as <laughs> I like this. It's an irresponsibly hopped double IPA, uh, and it's bursting with life from an absurd amount of aromatic hops. And I am experiencing a bouquet of kind of some orangey, lemony, tropical, fruity with a clean malt body kind of stuff. Super fresh. You know, um, there's just, I, I, I don't know. I, I'm really digging it. Um, I won't tell you about all the um, composition, but one of the most dangerous things about it, it's a 10 ABV. Careful. Okay. Um, but since we just started on it, it's just going to be a great, exciting ri- ride today with all kinds of fantastic headlines of the week coming at you live. So what the first one about the EPA, well, this was an interesting story that came out. We've been covering the uh, the EPA um, the situation before we get right to the headline. Do you want to give us a brief bit of background on Scott Pruitt and company? Yes. So um, glider kits, you know, as uh, truckers know, are sort of, you know, old wine in new bottles in a way, Ooh. right? It's um, It's when you use a... Uh, early model engine in a new body of a truck. It's a cheap way to um, sort of refurbish some, a lot of parts that are still in perfect working condition. Unfortunately, most of those trucks don't meet uh, modern, strict emission standards. Now, I think also that once upon a time, maybe back 10 years ago or so, these these glider kits were more like important to the industry. They were you know, they were using them to help during you know during the Great Recession, 
and at other times, so like you know, Fitzgerald Glider Kits and and company were were seen as more of kind of beloved in the industry. Oh yeah, 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 for sure. But of of late, it's come to be known through through more increased testing that they are super mega polluters. That and um, I think with the initial appointment of Scott Pruitt as the EPA administrator, uh, remember he's the former Oklahoma attorney general who sued the EPA a number of times, you know, sort of wanted to dismantle it by by his own account. Um, I think with the appointment of Pruitt, Fitzgerald saw kind of an opening for some... They did indeed. And they... um, you know, got some uh, sort of lobbying uh, and some political muscle through um, Marsha Blackburn. Is that right? Um, yes. A uh, Tennessee representative because uh, uh, Fitzgerald Gliders is, I guess they have two, they have two locations or just one location? They have their main one that I know about. In, um, in, in uh, Crossville. Yes. Crossville, Crossville Tennessee. Ne- um, next to uh, Tennessee Tech. Right. And so they were able to, you know, whatever, sponsor this um, sort of deficient and uh, intellectually dishonest study that tried to say that collider kits uh, were actually cleaner than modern engines, which obviously right. you know, flouts no, you know, we... logic. Um, in, in any case, they were able to sort of, uh, and, and that study, by the way, was at Tennessee Tech's campus, and then it became a huge scandal and faculty and students and administration were all at each other's throats. And that's a whole another can of worms. Suffice to say that the EPA took this study and ran with it and did just what you'd expect. They said that um, all you know, glider kits would be uh, sort of exempt from um, modern day emission standards. And they, if I understand correctly, they drastically raised the limits on how many can be manufactured. Uh, right or um, yeah, it would preview the the cap that actually went into effect at the beginning of this year, but the EPA has just chosen not to enforce it. Was to keep uh, was to you know decrease manufacturing to just simply three hundred trucks per year, um, and so which would have you know obviously killed Fitzgerald gliders, right? So and you know a, a few senators got involved, you know questioning the um, sort of the corruption of science by uh, the EPA and things like that. Um, and as, as we also know, you know, Pruitt ended up being forced to resign by President Trump after embarrassing the administration with a number of scandals. But as kind of a last hurrah, they it dis- seen, yeah they, they tried to pull the plug on these emissions rules. Um, and, but now it seems like the Sierra Club has been able to get a week-long stay from a court. So... Uh, I think it's 10 days, but yeah, it is a, okay. so the story today is, um, is that the, the, the court ruled that they can have a very brief amount of time, 10 days to, uh, in order, because it was an emergency request and it's simply to give the court sufficient opportunity to consider the emergency motion. It has no bearing on the merits of the case. Um, that, that's, that was what the ruling was. Right. It's just basically just like, okay, we'll give you a stay. Um, the EPA has 10 days to respond and come back and then we'll figure this thing out. They have till the 20, the EPA has until the 25th of this month to respond. Right. 
Um, so that is so that's, that's kind the of an update. That's on... kind of a blip. Um, you know, I think it'll be really interesting to see what the EPA's response is, right. how consistent it is with um, what they are doing um, under Pruitt. You know, I don't think we have much um, uh, reason to believe that the deputy administrator uh, Wheeler uh, will, will be, be any, any different, different. But who knows? Um, he's also been. I think he has a reputation for sort of um, avoiding the limelight and some of the controversies that his uh, predecessor found himself embroiled in. So I've yeah. heard him described as more canny than, or more sophisticated and canny than Scott Pruitt. Whatever that will end up meaning for this particular story, well, stay tuned. We're going to follow this one closely. Yeah. Also, one of the things that we're always doing here on What the Truck is is following, you know, during this year of the capacity crunch and, you know, freight constraint, we are following, you know, driver retention issues, um, often called the driver squeeze. Um, you know, simply, you could just call it more broadly, the driver problem. Uh, and one of the things that um, we reported on this week um Mariah Baker covered uh, how community colleges are combating the driver squeeze. You know, recently, one of the things you and I talked about was like how difficult it, it is for a driver to like, you know, like if the economy's good and say you don't quite have a college education yet or you just simply don't have one and you want to go get employed, you, you can hop right into a construction job with little to no training. But if you wanted to be a trucker, you have to get a CDL. There's a lot of training behind it. It's considered kind of a significant career decision. Yeah. You know? There's several barriers to entry. Um, a lot of various kinds of testing, uh, you know, training, driving. You know, you're a trainee for a while. You know, things like that. So, um, so what some community colleges are finding is that there's an opportunity here to uh, onboard students through um, a number of different classes uh, and you know some like one of the ones that um, were covered some are as fast as four weeks how does four weeks sound to you um I'm, that sounds quite uh, truncated truncated <laughs> I would say. yeah it says um, it, the article says that these programs the ones that are um, as short as four weeks rely heavily on intense training and cutting-edge technology to make the most out of the limited time in the classroom and on the road. But others are, uh, you know, like the one at Chattanooga State Community College. They offer a seven-week commercial truck driving program. Um, there's uh, one in Ohio. Um, it's the Northwest State Community College um, and Keller Logistics Groups. They've partnered together, and I think it's a little longer than than the seven weeks, but it's also um, relatively short. There's one also in Central New Mexico Community College, which is at the intersection of I-25 and I-40, which is kind of you know right in the heart of Albuquerque, uh, which is kind of you know it's a highly traveled truck route. It makes it an ideal spot for training, but it's a 12 to 15 week course, like a semester, you know, but what they did, and as Mariah covered, um, they created an accelerated course and it just filled up without any marketing. Um, and all of these courses apparently also guarantee 
a hundred percent job fulfillment after yeah. you complete the course. That that's pretty exciting. Like, if yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Um, that's, but, that's, and so this is sort of an alternative. So your know, higher education is getting in the game of training drivers, not just leaving it up to the commercial driving schools that are often you know, can be quite expensive. Apparently so, and uh, makes you know, sense. What they you know they do other kinds of you know just, uh, vocational training, training yeah, for, make, for, oh, for yeah, different trades, things like that. Um, uh, the U.S. Department of Transportation, um, you know, anticipates, and as we've covered in our sonar data, um, about a 6% increase. If it, if it stays at a 6% increase in, um, employ, in the employment of um, heavy and tractor trailing drivers, like if that continues over the next eight years, uh, you know, there's only going to be, that's only a, about 108,400 positions between 2016 and, and 2026. So it's just, it's hardly going to keep up with the no, demand. No. I don't know what kind of, you know, we every little thing that we're talking about seems like little things to combat a big problem. Um, will these death by a thousand cuts actually help the industry in a significant way? Stay tuned. Well, I also think what, you know, some of them, um, there might be a kind of synergy between some of them. So, for example, if you, yeah, if we're able to um, legalize 18 to 21 year olds to drive across state lines, then what could the community colleges do? I mean, because that's like their target, yeah, market, good point. kids right out of high school. So, it's yeah. like, you know, if a couple of these things hit at the same time, we could really see some new pipelines into the industry being created. Right. If trucking really is kind of made cool again to this younger generation of drivers, yeah, you know, um, you know, if they can see it in a kind of cool techie way, if there's more opportunities, uh, you know, it could, uh, it could make a dent. Um, Right. Right. Exactly. Cool. Um, so next, uh, we have, um, a story that you wrote, right? Uh, this is about um, Amazon's Prime Day. Um, yeah. And so-called sort of... Christmas in July, but kind of more like Black Friday. Yeah. Why don't you tell us about it? Uh, well, you know, like Amazon Prime Day that we, we released this article on the day of Amazon Prime Day leading up to their 3 p.m. release. I mean, talk about marketing genius. They like they kind of targeted like what's. One of the like most dull points of the year around which there are no holidays. And I, they identified this like little time that happened this week in July. And, you know, so for the past few years, they've, they've done this Prime Day. Well, um, we didn't know this at the time of the article, but we know this now. That the Prime Day that happened this week was the biggest Prime Day of all time by far. It, it destroyed last year's Prime Day. Yeah, how, what, do you 3. know the numbers? $3.5 billion in sales as opposed to $2.4 billion last year. So, And that is in spite of the much publicized glitch that happened uh, on their so we're site. Talking, we're talking like a 50% increase. It's pretty gigantic, right? Um and Jeez. yeah, it's 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 amazing. What I was looking for, though, because what the aim of our story was to um, analyze, like what's what's the stress going to be on the supply chain 
are you know customers and are, is FedEx and UPS going to be help you know make all the deliveries on time? <clears throat> um, so far, I haven't come across significant data of any kind saying that it hasn't worked. It's just kind of being postured as a resounding success. Um, but I do want to tell our listeners that I have found out, and I don't know about if you know about this, during their peak seasons in the past, Amazon, um, they're, you know, for Prime members that they expect to get the two-day shipping. Yeah. Like in November and December of last year, it was studied that as many as 10% of those packages do not arrive on time. Yeah. And doing yeah. a tiny bit more. Well, usually it's higher than that. I mean, or low. Usually their success rate is higher than that. It's mm -hmm. in the high 90s. Um, yeah, I don't think UPS was ready for... Um, uh, last year, the last year at Christmas, yeah. I don't think FedEx, no, they, they FedEx wasn't. But both companies uh, said in subsequent earnings calls that they really underestimated uh, e-commerce well, parcel Prime, volumes. Prime Day so far, though, has been by far the biggest day um, of this year. So, like, it's been the biggest online sales day of this year. And so it's it will super be interesting. Yeah. I, I'm really fascinated by the timing of Prime Day because. Yeah. I don't know if you heard these conversations in the, in the office, but I've been talking um, with Zach Strickland about you know some of the data we were seeing coming into the ports. You know, it looked like spot yeah. rates were kind of softening a little bit after the July Fourth holiday, and he was saying that it actually this is a traditional. There is this weird uh, you know week long to two week long period in July. That's traditionally much softer before things pick back up in August, September, and then get into peak season. So yeah. I wonder if Amazon deliberately positioned Prime Day right in the middle. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, we know that this is sort of like the middle of the year. You know, it's um, it's well before Christmas. Won't have anything to do with that. But um, it's if we if we slide it in. Right in this little cooling off period, maybe our transport costs will be, we can get a deal on transportation and logistics costs. We, it'll be a little bit easier to find some capacity and we can move things. And just Now that part about it, I think is interesting um, because one thing that we do know about the costs of uh, fuel costs have risen 30% over, over this year so far. So certainly those shipping costs, if they're, get, they're shipping it for free, that bit into their bottom line, I'm sure. Yeah. But you're right. Strategically speaking, you know, if there was kind of an under, they're uh, looking for the little dead zones. Yeah. Boom. Right there. So smart. So strategic. You got to hand it to yeah, them. Yeah. They they really know their data. What I was going to say though for our listeners is that if you are wondering if you've had a late package delivered to you, you do have redress, as they say. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. We're, we're, do you know what that is? Um. I know. Have you heard of that? Because you and I have talked about it, and I didn't know if you knew. Because um, we've received packages late. Ourselves. I mean, I know that redress means like you know compensation, but I don't know. Like, you can see, specifically, they say um, that you can if you tell them tell the company about it by either calling or 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 hitting them online by email. Um, they will give you a month free Prime membership. Okay, so that's step one. They also, if it happens multiple times, they give you percentages off. Um, you know, certain items and they will help you to an extent. Now, I think if you're like a repeat 
I would say repeat offender, but really you're a repeat victim. If you repeatedly get late packages, they say there's limits to, you know. What they can do for you. Yeah. Right, right. Well, I know so, that they study their network. They they uh, re- have really close uh, relationships with people, everyone who does last mile, including you know, the post office, FedEx, UPS. Um, they... For example, if you get a package stolen, you contact them, they'll issue security alerts for that route. Yeah, that's um, getting better. Yeah, yeah. that's um, so it's a sophisticated supply chain that, you know, the timing of which it might have it might have worked out for Amazon and Prime. Three point four billion to, in one day. Three point five. Three point five in the one est- day. Yes. Wow. Not bad. Uh, and now and for our final headline of the of the week. Um, you're going to tell us about um, railroads, basically. Specifically, you're going to focus yeah, on yeah. the CSX well, right. so earnings report. We're kind of in the middle of um, earnings season for uh, hearing about different, different companies' second quarter results. Um, you know, I know that our executive editor, John Kingston, just wrote about Union Pacific and Canadian Pacific. And now... Um, and they're doing well. Right, their earnings reports were. They're doing well. Um, I think their the uh, OR was a little disappointing, but um, anyway, I, I listened to the CSX um, earnings call with uh, the CEO Jim Foot, who was sort of a protege of the late Hunter Harrison, who, as you recall, passed away in December, sort of midway through. And boy, could this... he run a tight ship, so to speak. Yes, yes, that's what he was known for. Yeah. Um, I am aware of him. And so what did Foot say? Are they exceeding expectations? Oh, or? yeah. So about three months ago, CSX sort of had this. They said, by the year 2020, we will have an annual operating ratio of 60%. And so, you know, operating ratio, that means how much of your top line revenue does it take to just run your business as is? Okay. So excluding capital yeah. expenditures, things like that. And so, you know, the lower, the better. Sure. Right. And so they actually, so they had this goal for 60% um, by 2020. And they... Almost have achieved that. Well, no, they they got below. They already already hit 58% um, for the 58.6% OR for the quarter. I see. Crazy, crazy numbers. The analysts were just like saying things like wonderful, very impressive, great job. And it's been interesting. And so they've really... And they said that there's even more good things to come. There's more right? good things to come. And some analysts that I talked to, you know, not really necessarily on the call, okay, but afterwards yeah. and some discussions I've had with some rail people, uh, you know, Jim, Blaze, and some other people. Um, so, you know, have some questions about how prepared CSX actually is to make some further improvements. We'll get to that in a moment. But basically what they have done is they've carried out um, Hunter Harrison's Precision's Scheduled Railroading Philosophy, which basically means instead of having a hub-and-spoke model with right. all these hump yards that take trains apart and put them back together, it's, it's more point-to-point. It's okay. more like what Southwest Airlines did when they first started off instead of having these hubs and these inefficient things. And so they closed down the majority of their hump yards, they're holding their shippers 
to much, much tighter schedules. And say, they're carrying longer trains as well, right? They're building longer trains. Average velocity is going up. Dwell times are That's going good. down. And um, average car miles per day, the average uh, distance covered by each car is, is also going up. Um, if only all of our airlines worked so efficiently. <laughs> yeah, well, so, you know, it's it, and so they've cut a lot of costs. They've, they've, they're reducing CapEx. Um, they're not building big facilities, you know, like Union Pacific is. Um and that's what's really bringing the OR down. And so they've been able to, you know, almost double their payouts to uh, uh, shareholders, whether it's in the form of dividends or stock buybacks. Whoa. So the investors love this stuff. Yeah. Their customers, I'm not so sure. Um, and it was kind of interesting. There was a little bit of tension on the call because one of the... Um, but I thought co- customer relationships had improved. I mean, that's what the CEO says. Ah. Uh. Because if you, when they first started implementing this, I mean, it's <laughs> precision scheduled railroading. One way to think about it is just instead of you, uh, instead of customer service, the customer serves you. Like <laughs> yeah. you tell the customer, right. our, our train's going to get here at this time and it's going to leave at this time. Yeah. If you don't load the Whoa. car, it's moving. I can almost see like trucking carriers dictating the terms to their shipping customers and saying that oh look how things have <laughs> look how yeah. our relationships have improved yeah, with all this efficiency strickland said the exact same thing but the problem is is that um you know if you don't like the way that a, if you're a if you're walmart and you don't like the way a certain truckload carrier is treating you there's always another one or another one another right one. but if you have a you know whatever um you know a grain elevator and you load trains with your grain elevator, there's probably only one railroad. <laughs> you know, yeah. Oh, yeah. Year. You don't have a lot Ma- of choice. And it's either so, going to be CSX or it's going to be Norfolk Southern. And so... Get on get on the train or... Yeah. You know, and so, you know, they have way more power leverage. over their customers than, than the typical trucking company. Well, does. it's fascinating. We cover all the, the, one, the different kinds of freight Yeah, the, and, on what the truck. The interesting thing that they said, so um, okay, yeah, um, an analyst from Deutsche Bank asked Foot, you know, where in the business have you not already implemented PSR, precision scheduled railroad? Okay, like where can we get further efficiencies, further where savings? Where can we squeeze these out? Yeah. And Foot basically said intermodal. Ooh. He was like, we don't know what's going on with intermodal. I can see it's that for years, and he said it, he called it dysfunctional. Whoa! He said for years and years it was operated as a separate franchise from um, CSX's core rail business, and it was never properly integrated. And he said there's a ton of work to do. They haven't f- even started figuring it out yet. And he kind of, you know, it was kind of interesting because it was almost like he was a little sensitive to some of the critiques that um, CSX had received from its customers last summer when they first started doing this PSR. Um, Cause he said, we're going to take methodically when we fix intermodal, we're not going to screw up the railroads. We're going to listen to our customers. If it takes us a couple extra quarters, it takes us a couple extra quarters, but yeah. we're going to rationalize this part of our business in the right way. That is interesting. Um, and yeah. We will follow and, that. But what, you know, the subtext of that was, 
because they said you know what do you yeah. what's it going to look like and he basically didn't know like and so um some of the analysts that i was speaking to off the call were sort of saying it's really obvious that csx has no strategy to fix their intermodal business everyone else is growing their intermodal at double digits year over year csx isn't you know now now intermodal okay. now intermodal is between you know 40 to 50 percent of all car loadings for almost all of the class one railroads intermodal is half of what they do and they and csx is saying we don't know what's going on with our intermodal that is the subtext and so a great earnings report but they better get their act together with a complex supply line with an yeah, intermodal yeah, exactly uh, um well thanks for covering that fantastic job um are you ready to play another rousing round of big deal little deal let's do it all right so i'm gonna begin asking you and let's go about now jd power eld mandate contributed to subdued supply in june big deal or little deal um little deal um i think there are conflicting signals and uh, we've seen data that suggests that elds have actually increased productivity. Lyft looks to create human autonomous hybrid network in ride sharing space. Big deal or little deal? It's a big deal. This is the ultimate, um, you know, destiny of these ride sharing companies. Um, autonomous drive, autonomous cars. Los Angeles turndowns found a bottom. Big deal or little deal? It's a big deal. I, mean, I think in a few, you know, we've started to see turndowns out of LA spike, and in a few weeks, we'll know how strong the uh, fall season is going to be. Ground breaks on the Gordie Howe International Bridge. Big deal or little deal? This is a huge deal. Right now, the main uh, border crossing between the U.S. and Canada is controlled by a family, and it's a toll bridge, and it's an insane monopoly. Huge deal. Solving the parking crisis in the cities of the future. Big deal or little deal? Little deal because it ain't like there's some big solution yet. The study showed how parking is very underutilized in cities. Good data. Interesting future. FedEx Institute partners uh, with Good Shepherd Pharmacy to build a blockchain. Big deal or little deal? Not not a big deal in terms of the blockchain, but a big deal in terms of one of the most valuable resources universities can provide to the innovation ecosystem is a space to explore new ideas and opportunities. Strong consumer spending boosts retail sales in June. Big deal or little deal? Big deal. Overall, an impressive second quarter for retail spending. But it looks it looks like the tax cuts and healthy jobs are keeping the retail environment strong for now. This helps trucking by forcing inventory replenishment for retailers. Freight Matching Cargo Chief announces a new data partnership. Big deal or little deal? Big deal. The key is that Gatehouse and Cargo Chief are taking the forced ELD mandate and making this a positive for carriers as now this data can lead to receiving AI-matched load offers. And that'll do it for the big stories this week. As always, we go into more detail about each of the topics we've talked about today on our website, FreightWaves.com. We will continue to publish this podcast weekly, so be sure to subscribe to What the Truck on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Also, make sure to leave us a review to let us know what you think of our new podcast. And if you're interested in freight economics and finance, come to our Market Waves Conference at the Gaylord Texan Resort and Convention Center in Grapevine, Texas, this November. Visit marketwaves18.com to learn more about this event. 
That'll do it for today. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you next week on What What the the truck. Truck.